Welcome to The Lead, a podcast about how to get ahead in the news industry from the people who did. I'm Jacqueline Gannon. On today's episode, I'm talking to Melissa Little. Melissa is a freelance photojournalist based in Washington, D.C., who's traveled all around in her pursuit of telling stories that matter. She's been a Pulitzer Center grantee, an International Women's Media Foundation fellow, and the president of the National Press Photographers Association. Today, we talk about the importance of building a community and not taking no for an answer. But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode is produced by the Cox Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management, and Leadership at the University of Georgia's Grady College. To learn more, go to grady.uga.edu slash coxinstitute. Now, here's the lead. Hi, Melissa. Thank you so much for joining today. Hey, Jacqueline. Thanks for having me. So what made you want to be a photojournalist? Oh, dumb luck more than anything. Um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I, I'm a first-generation college student. Um, my parents just knew it was important for me to go to college, but they were never really pushy towards what I should do or, or, uh, or study. And so I knew that I was going to have to pay for it myself, uh, which meant starting at the community college near my house to live at home for a few extra years and save some money and um, was taking all my prereqs. I thought I wanted to be a veterinarian, so I was taking every biology and anatomy and upper-level math class I could. And at some point, a guidance counselor said to me, hey, you really need to take an art elective in order to graduate with your AA degree before you go off to the university. And the only thing that fit was a black and white photo class. And just getting in that dark room did something to my brain. Um, just kind of like shook some dust off of it and woke it up a little bit in ways that math and science weren't. But I also realized that having that camera in my hand gave a really introverted kid an opportunity and kind of an excuse to, to get out there and talk to people. Um, I could go poke around and, and just kind of say, hey, I'm a, I'm a student over at the community college. I'd love to hang out with you for a little bit and make a picture. Uh, what's your story? And people would open up. And just kind of putting all of that together, it, it kind of blew my mind and like the ways that it opened doors and the access that it gave and the lives it let me into. And I kind of went back to that guidance counselor at some point that semester and said like, uh-oh, like you're, you're in trouble. You did it. What, what now? Um, what can I do with a camera? And she said, well, newspapers always need photographers. Like there's a really good journalism school at the University of Florida, like 80 miles south of here. You should drive down there and talk to them someday. And um, I did. I just I took a road trip on a, a day off on some random weekday. I walked into the dean's office at the, the J school, completely unannounced, and I walked in with my, my pictures I was really proud of, and I said, hey, I just wanted to know how I could get into the, the College of Journalism and Communications here. And um, they were incredibly nice and walked me downstairs and showed me the photo lab and kind of talked me through the process. And basically they said, we'll see you in the fall after you, you graduate from the community college. And it ended up changing, changing my trajectory 100%. You know, it was like a, a full 180 in my mind of like what I thought I was going to do and where I ended up. But um, just kind of that whisper, you have to listen to it sometimes when it, when it comes along. 
So after you graduated from University of Florida with a journalism degree, you did work at newspapers in Florida for about 15 years. So what did that teach you about visual storytelling? I mean, it just solidified that that was what I wanted to do. Even earlier than that, you know, the the best thing for me about going to a journalism school was the emphasis that they placed on doing internships. One of the first things I had to do once I got to UF was a practicum, which is a one-week internship. Usually people would go home to, you know, visit their family and intern at the local paper for a week. And the practicum was really meant to sort of, you know, shadow working photographers, get into a newsroom, and it was just sort of meant to get your feet wet and make sure this is really what you wanted to do. And, and you know, before it was too late to sort of change majors and have to redo a lot of stuff. But my mom had just moved for a job to Columbia, South Carolina, and the paper there is called The State Newspaper. And it was a really incredible photo paper at that point. This place that, you know, was just all about community storytelling and um, and just like community journalism at its core. And so I was gonna go visit my mom over Christmas break and I called up the paper, complete cold call, and just explained like, I'd love to come shadow and do some ride-alongs with some of your staff photographers if that's okay. And the assignment editor I spoke to, Ann McQuarrie, told me, yeah, that sounds great, like free labor for a week? This is awesome. Um, why don't you send me your portfolio? and We'll, uh, we'll, we'll see how you fit into the mix here and, you know, who I can pair you with kind of based on what your interests are. And I walked in that Monday morning and she said, oh, great. Here's a map book of the county. Here's three assignments. I want to see if you can hit the ground running, kid. And it wasn't at all what I expected that week to be. Um, it was so much better. And by maybe Wednesday or Thursday of that week, she told me that one of their staff photographers was going on maternity leave and asked if I wanted to stay. And they didn't officially have an internship spot, but they created one for me. And it turned into a, went from a one week internship to a three month internship to a six month to nine months. And at some point my professor is calling me going like, hey, if you stay out of school longer than a year, you have to re-enroll. Like, are you ever coming back? You know, it was once I got into a newsroom, though, it was just kind of like, yes, this is what I want to do. Like, talking to people, telling stories, trying to make a difference in, in a community that I'm, I'm there to serve. And that was the first of four internships. Uh, I was on my way to a fifth when I got a call about a job in Fort Lauderdale. Um... And then, yeah, I was on staff at the Sun Sentinel for five years. And then I was at the St. Petersburg Times, now the Tampa Bay Times, uh, for about 10 years. And it was just absolutely incredible. I mean, but it was literally day one, first steps into a newsroom, realizing just sort of the, the power and the possibility of what a, a camera could do. And so now you work freelance full time. So what made you make that change from working in a newsroom to freelancing? You know, honestly, and I won't sugarcoat it, you know, I thought I was going to be a newspaper photographer my entire career. Um, I'd seen the people that graduated before me have 20 and 30 year careers at newspapers. And um, unfortunately, the state of the industry was changing. And in my 10 years at the St. Petersburg Times, I survived five rounds of layoffs and buyouts and was not so lucky on the sixth. 
Um, so I got approached and asked if I wanted to take a buyout. Um, and if I said no to that, uh, they told me I could be fired effective immediately. So <laughs> I wasn't really given much of an option um, in leaving newspapers, which is unfortunate because I would still love to be a community journalist somewhere. But um, I knew I still wanted to keep making pictures, you know, and that after the initial sort of shock and <laughs> anger and sadness of and grief, you know, um, uh, it was really clear to me that it was taking pictures that mattered. It wasn't necessarily who I was taking pictures for. And it was just sort of this mindset shift in some ways where it was like, I want to keep doing this and now I can do it for a lot of people and not just one, you know, at that point it was just kind of figuring out the business side of things, you know, and that's one thing I would say to, to everybody who's still in school, um, take some business classes at some point in journalism, whether it's your choice or someone else's, chances are you're going to fig have to figure out how to run a business. One of your recent projects, which was supported by the Pulitzer Center, is called Where They Stood, where you drove more than 7,000 miles through the South to document the places where Confederate monuments stood before they were taken down and where they were moved to. What was the inspiration behind that project and what impact do you hope it has? I mean, the main inspiration was sitting at home watching the news, um, you know, the, the biggest thing I've seen in the last decade or so was just sort of the movement, the social justice movement that sprung up after George Floyd's death. You know, so Mr. Floyd was killed late May 2020, and within weeks, protests are happening in multiple cities around the country and monuments are starting to come down. You know, I'm sitting at my home in Washington, D.C., sort of taking all this in and it's, you know, I'm questioning what my role is in all of this and if I have a, a place and a voice and, you know, whose story is this to tell and um, wrestling with a lot of questions, but um, there was no getting around the power of of watching this movement take hold in not just one city, but dozens of cities and then hundreds of cities. And it just kept growing exponentially. And um, I think by the end of June 2020, so within a month of George Floyd's death, more Confederate monuments had come down than had come down in the last you know, 50 years. And I just kept tossing these numbers around in my head, like, well, that's an incredible story. Like, what do we do with that? Like, it's not possible for me to see something on social media and go, oh, a monument's coming down in Atlanta. I can't physically be there right now. I can't get on an airplane and, and make it in time to, to see this thing being physically pulled down. Um, but how can I tell this story? And, and what is the story that I want to tell? And one of the things that I kept coming back to is asking what they were going to be doing with these monuments. Um, you know, like what, what should be done with them when they come down? And I just started cold calling city managers and city mayors and outspoken city council members and, um, and asking where their monument went and created a spreadsheet. And at some point I have over 100 monuments listed on this spreadsheet that had come down in a couple of months and 
a handful of people started to tell me where they were at and said, oh, if you're ever in the area, like, come on by, we'll show you. You know, that kind of spurred the direction that I wanted to take this project. And um, I started to apply for some funding to, to get it done properly. Um, and so I partnered with the Pulitzer Center, who gave me a, a really nice grant to do the initial reporting, which was five weeks and 7,000 miles. And um, yeah, I've photographed about 85 so far. Um, there's still a handful that I'm really interested in trying to get to in places that should have never had Confederate monuments like San Diego and Las Vegas and Seattle, um, places that certainly could not claim to have fought in the Confederacy because they didn't, uh, have anything to do with that fight back in the day. So, um, you know, it's been a really fascinating learning experience and just an education in, in the history of the United States, you know, I've, I've learned so much in doing it. And, um, the thing I keep wrestling with now is, is where is that ending? Cause there is no ending. Um, there's still about 750 to 800 monuments in the U S still standing. You know, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what to do with this body of work and, uh, I'm starting to make little zines and little books. Um, I'd like to go do some paste up and put these pictures back in some cities to show what actually happened to these monuments. You've also worked outside of the U.S. in places like Mexico, Israel, and the Gaza Strip. What motivated you to pursue those stories internationally? I mean, I think as a young journalist, it was just an opportunity. You know, I was at a newspaper for most of those projects, um, most of that travel, and uh, I'd initially in 2003 started pitching some stories in Haiti. The newspaper that I was at at the time was covering the Caribbean a lot. And we were spending a lot of time in Haiti. There were a lot of interesting things happening there, including a coup and uh, some civil unrest. And, you know, I think one of the best lessons I learned was sort of the power of no and what that does to me. Um, I think... I think if it's a story that you care about and someone tells you that you can't do it or you shouldn't do it, you should question their motives. <laughs> um, and if it's really important to you, find a way to do it. So, you know, specifically, I'd pitched a, a, the story on Haiti um, that I thought was pretty solid. And my director of photography at the time told me that I was a little girl and I would get myself hurt or killed. And... Um, and so I, I got really angry and um, I went out to the assignment desk and I said, hey, how much vacation do I have? And so I basically ended up blocking about three and a half to four weeks off, um, bought a flight to Port-au-Prince and uh, went down there and told the story I wanted to tell. Then I came into work early on my first day back and I'm at the light table and I'm sleeving everything and I'm looking at it with a loop and starting to edit and make some notes and the same director of photography comes over to me and he says um he says wow em these are great like we should totally run a page on this and we should do this and we should do this with your pictures and i said hey this is the story that i pitched to you that you didn't think i could pull off you thought i was going to get myself hurt or killed over and he says oh yeah yeah but you went and did it no this would look great we could do a double truck and we could do a whole section on this and and I said, yeah, thank you. I'm not interested. Um, I said, send me back next year and I'll, I'll tell this story for you. And so he, um, he got a little angry at me 
and I had the absolute worst assignments for about the next month. And uh, I finally cornered him in the office and I was like, hey, this needs to stop. Like you would have done the same thing as a young photographer. Like you never would have taken no for an answer. Um, if the story mattered to you, you would have found a way. You've, you've told me that time and time again. And um, I believed in this story and I thought I could do it and I wanted to prove to myself I could. And uh, I don't know, maybe 48 to 72 hours later, he came back to me and he said, fine, you care about the Haitians so much. I heard there's a bunch of them on a raft that just ended up on the shores of Jamaica. Go find them. You have four days. And a reporter and I were off and running. We bought flights to Jamaica that afternoon. We were out of the country the next morning. We hit the ground running and told a really good story down there. And I got back from that experience and he just kind of nodded in approval. And a week or two went by and uh, he called me into his office one day and, you know, and he said, hey, uh, I'd like to send you to the Gaza Strip. And this is the day you would leave if you're, uh, if you're accepting this assignment. I said, absolutely, I am. And so went to Gaza for two weeks. Um, and, you know, that was just kind of the start of it. I mean, it's just still doing what I love. It's finding a way to tell a localized story abroad. And it was just such an incredible experience. And I got back and I was like, any chance I get. I mean, I've always loved to travel. I love experiencing new cultures. Mix into that, you know, the chance to tell important stories, especially in stories about people in my own community. And it was just exactly what I wanted to be doing. From an outsider's perspective, at least to me, um, it seems like photojournalists have a real sense of community. I've seen a bunch of conventions and organizations that um, they try and bring photojournalists together. And so you founded the group of Photo A Day to provide a network and support system for photojournalists. Um, can you talk about what a Photo A Day is and where that idea came from? So I graduated in 1999 and got my first job somewhere in like summer of 2000. And one of my good friends and classmates had a different career path. She gave birth to her son right after we graduated. She started working at a small town newspaper just outside of Gainesville where there was a two-person photo staff, her and one other. And I remember getting an email from her and uh, it just kind of said, hey, can you send me some pictures when you get a chance? Just show me what you're working on. I'd love to see it. Um, there's not even a, a Barnes and Noble or, you know, a bookstore in town where I can go look at a National Geographic or, or go flip through a photo book. And, and I really miss that from college. I was like, yeah, that's a great idea, actually. Like, why don't I bring in a couple other people that we were all friends with in college and see if they're interested. We could just start a little group and just kind of talk amongst ourselves and just a photo a day, send it for discussion, send it for feedback, send it to wow us. And a couple of months in, we had a hundred people on there and it was like, wow, this is crazy. <laughs> like that there's just this need for conversation. And at some point we had about 2,500 members all around the world. It was absolutely incredible. And um, somebody threw out an idea in there one night and said, hey, we should all meet in person someday. You know, but we were getting so many new voices and, and new people on the list that um, I said, yeah, that's a really cool idea. Like, let's, you know, let's all try to meet up. What do you guys think? And, 
And one of the people on there said, why doesn't everybody come up to Washington, D.C. on the 4th of July? And so about a dozen of us showed up in D.C. And a lot of us met in real life for the first time, which was super cool. And people I've kept in touch with now for 20 years and, and consider some of my favorite people. From that point on, we started trying to get together every year. And that conference started to get bigger and bigger to the point where we were getting 200 to 300 people showing up in cities and anybody that could come would come and we would invite people to come and speak and um, we would have fun fun little get-togethers and it was so obvious from watching that community grow how hungry people were for community you know and I think after graduating from a J school where students were tight like you know you work at the student paper 40 50 60 hours a week it feels like sometimes you know you're putting in really late nights with people and and having these incredible experiences and then you graduate and you all go your separate ways and it's kind of like well what now how can I recreate that and so um, for us that's kind of what a photo a day did it was uh, just trying to find this community again of of like-minded people and just people that were still excited about photography and wanted to eat, breathe, and sleep it, you know? So it's like, if you don't have the community you need, you've got to create it wherever you are. And finally, what advice do you have for aspiring photojournalists? I think there's so much talent coming out of colleges right now that you've got to understand that everybody's got the work. And it's like, what's going to set you apart from there? It's having really good ideas. It's being really driven and being able to sort of get that across in an interview or a cover letter or a conversation with somebody that may potentially hire you for an internship or a job. Um, you know, and it's just kind of conveying your passion and, and showing what you're going to bring aside from, you know, your pictures or your stories. Um, because you've got to think at this level, like everybody's making good pictures. Most people can put together a solid portfolio. Everybody's got that. That's the benchmark, you know, and then you've just got to ask yourself, like, what else are you bringing to the table? And for me, it was just sort of, I think, um, a, a drive and, a just sort of relentless pursuit of story and idea. Be a real person and find a way to, to sort of convey to people what it is you, you're into. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Melissa. This was great. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Melissa for joining me on this episode. I'm your host, Jacqueline Ganun. Our executive producer is Charlotte Norsworthy, and this show is supported by the Cox Institute. To keep up with the lead and to hear more from media leaders, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to follow us on Twitter. We are at The Lead Podcast. See you next time.